The reading this morning comes from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. It is true and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you again. Well, this morning when we start off, I want to I do something that I think every man longs to do from time to time, and that's to get in touch with our feelings. I have a particular feeling in mind, but just in general, you know, feelings can be really powerful. Feelings can be really potent. And the, the feeling that I have in mind this morning is especially potent. In fact, you might say that its effect or its impact can be out of proportion with its size from time to time. Um, a small dose of it will go a long way. Um, let me give you an example. So uh, maybe relationally, this feeling may cause some people to um, accumulate relationship after relationship. They can never have enough relationships in their life. And Surprisingly, uh, the same feeling may inspire somebody to do something quite different. They may be inspired to avoid all relationships because they just don't want to go there. Financially, something similar could happen. You could stockpile money in a bank account well past the point where you have enough, but you'd never have enough. Or you may pull all of your money out of a bank account simply because you don't trust it there. You want it at home near your protection where you can see it. See, the feeling is fear. Fear can be really powerful in our lives, and fear is not always bad. Fear can be really good. It can help us if we're prone to taking wild risks that we shouldn't take. It can tell us when danger is really on the horizon, when we need to be careful. But fear can also be a kind of barrier between us and our trust in God. Fear can kind of disarm or disable our faith. Fear can have an effect that just kind of overpowers our life. And sooner or later, uh, we just find that fear has completely overtaken our life. But the greatest danger is when fear gets in the way of our faith, when it's a kind of barrier to our faith, when fear keeps us from being able to trust God as we ought to. In that case, you might notice how fear can just be irrational. It can be dominating, how you may forget who God is. You may forget who you are in light of who God is and what he's done for you. You may wonder if the gospel is true, if your fears get really out of control. And sooner or later, fear can just steal all of your joy that you have in Christ. Fear can be a major, major problem. Well, last week, we looked at Psalm 8. I want to congratulate you because we're now at the end of our two-week series called celebration, songs of celebration, which is just looking at two different psalms. We looked at Psalm 8, and we saw from that psalm that the Lord's name is majestic in all the earth, and by his grace, he gives the greatest names to those who follow him. This morning, we're skipping way ahead in the book of Psalms to Psalm 121. Now, Psalm 120 through 134 are kind of grouped together in a category known as the songs of ascent. 
And they're called that because the thought is that people would go to Jerusalem for worship on various occasions, whether it's like Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles, these, these annual festivals of worship that would take place in Jerusalem and at the temple. And if you know anything about the geography of Israel, then you know that if you're traveling to Jerusalem, chances are really good that you're going to be traveling uphill. And especially when you get in Jerusalem, if you're coming to the temple, you will be ascending up to it. So the thought is that as Israelites would come to the temple to participate in worship, sometimes they'd be traveling for many, many, many miles. And they would come up to the steps of the temple. And as they were approaching the temple, they would recite these psalms. They would sing them or they would chant them. Maybe they would pray them. So these are grouped together in that kind of a setting. And that's what we need to keep in mind this morning as we read this psalm together. We're on a journey. We're on a journey from our homes to the presence of God that's represented by the temple. We're on a journey to worship him, to be in his presence and to celebrate who he is. See, the psalm is kind of a metaphor for our lives. That our life is like a journey like that. That we are on a journey that's taking us into God's presence. And along the way, we will encounter certain kinds of challenges that this psalm speaks of. Before we get into the text, though, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time this morning. What a beautiful day this is. What a wonderful occasion it is to come in and worship you together like this. God, we just thank you for your grace on us. And may you speak to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, the first two verses say this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, as I said last week, if you were here, when we approach the Psalms, we have to realize what we're approaching. We're, we're reading poetry. And just like in the same way you wouldn't read Shakespeare the same way you read your owner's manual for your lawnmower, you can't read the Psalms just like you read any other book. It's poetry, and as poetry, it's highly symbolic. I quoted Robert Frost last week, who said that the poet's task is saying one thing and meaning another. So we have to understand that as we come into it. And, and as we understand that, we come to a challenge right off the start because the author says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And the question that baffles people time and time again is what is the significance of the hills? I'm going to give you three options, and I'll tell you which one I think is true, and we'll go from there. But first of all, the hills represented protection. The hills represented God's provision to, to protect a city like Jerusalem, because if you have a natural barrier like the hills, then it's more difficult for an army to come in and invade your city. So it could be that the author is looking to the hills, and he's saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who gave me these hills. Or, quite differently, it could also be something where the hills are representative of idol worship. Because the hills, the high places, were often used as a location for shrines to, to worship false gods. So it could be that the author is looking up at the high places on top of these hills, these shrines to the false gods, and saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. But in contrast, where does my help come from? Not them. My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. And then the third option, this is the one that I think is true, the best one for, our, for um, this psalm, is that the hills represent an object of fear. 
The hills represent an obstacle that stands in your way of getting to Jerusalem to worship God. If you're coming from anywhere else in Israel, you have to somehow get through the hills. Maybe you're coming with your family, your small children, and the hills are an obstacle. Maybe there are wild animals in the hills. The hills have unsteady terrain. The hills will slow down your journey. They are objects of fear. So they remind you of that fear that stands in your way of worship. Because our objects of fear are often obstacles to our worship, aren't they? It's just the way life works. I mean, relationally, from time to time, we may become so preoccupied with the opinions that others have of us, trying to meet others' expectations, that we forget about what it means to please God. Or maybe our jobs. Maybe in our jobs, we feel like they're kind of on the line. They're kind of shaky. Maybe people are being laid off around us and we wonder when our turn is coming. Maybe we become so preoccupied with that. Maybe we work crazy hours to try to please our boss, to try to satisfy our employer, that we kind of set God to the side. See, objects of fear can become obstacles to worship so easily in our life. And maybe that's what's going on in this psalm as well. So he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? When we face our fears, we need to know where do we go to for help? Who is going to help us? And the psalmist is clear that the Lord is our true deliverer. If we don't take the journey, we will miss out. We will miss out on the worship. We will miss out on being in God's presence. But so we know we need to embark on it, but who will help us along the way? The Lord is our true deliverer. The psalmist says that this is the same Lord who made heaven and earth. If you were here last week, then you know that David starts off Psalm 8 by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Anytime there's a reference like that in scripture to heaven and earth, it's, it's, it's pointing to God's creation. The fact that God is the creator. So when we look at the hills, we're reminded that we are serving the God who made the hills and everything else. How much greater is God than our fears? God is the one who made everything. He is so much greater and more powerful than any fear we might have. We can trust him. He is our true deliverer. See, this is where our theology is so important. Because fear has a way of exposing our theology. Not, not what we say we believe, but what do we really believe? Fear has a way of confronting our theology. Fear even at times has a way of mocking our theology. Fear can get in the way of our, our worship. So our theology is there to correct it. To stand against that fear and expose it for what it really is. God is our true deliverer because he is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. But fortunately, the psalmist doesn't just stop there and just say, yep, I can trust in God. But it sh he shows us how we can trust in God. Why we can trust in God. Let's read on. Verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Right along the way, we see that there are all kinds of ways we can misstep on a long journey like this. Maybe we step on a rock and we twist our ankle, or maybe we step into a place that looks solid underneath our foot, but in fact, it's just hollow when we fall through. There are all kinds of ways 
we can take a misstep along the journey. We're talking about wearing sandals maybe, going through the hills, going through some steep terrain. There are all different ways where we can go off the trail or we can stumble along the way. But of course, the psalmist is saying that he will not let your foot stumble. It will not even be moved. We can go in the journey with that kind of comfort, with that kind of security. We know that God will take care of us, that he will protect us. See, on a long journey, the tendency is for you and me to daydream along the way. We can't concentrate on every single step we take. But the maker of heaven and earth is paying attention, even while we're not. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. I mean, think about that in the context of your life this morning. What kind of things are going on in your life? What details are there in your life that maybe you're wondering if God is aware of? What kind of things are you dealing with and facing in your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with your boss, with your neighbors? What kind of things are you dealing with that you're kind of wondering whether God even knows that's going on? Does it feel like sometimes you need to set up an appointment with God to get on his calendar so that you can give him an update on how things are going in your life? I mean, I can say I've felt that way before. I can honestly say that. But the the lesson of this psalm right here is that no detail is too small for God's concern. He's aware of what's going on in our life. He knows everything that we're dealing with. Every time we stub our toe in this journey of life, he knows about it. God is completely aware. He's paying attention along the way. The word keep, when it says that he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. That word keep is repeated six times in just these eight verses. It can mean to guard. It can mean to protect, to deliver us. God is the one who does that for us. That's who he is. He is the one who delivers us and protects us and watches over us along the way. And he will not only do that, but he never sleeps. He never slumbers. So the image is like this. If you're in the ancient world and you live inside a city, oftentimes that is walled. So at nighttime, you would have a watchman who would walk alongside the wall, maybe on top of the wall if it's a big enough city. And they would, their purpose would be to, to look out, to look down and to see if anyone was trying to invade the city. If anybody was trying to sneak in over the wall, that watchman's responsibility was to make sure nothing happened. If you've ever worked a night shift, particularly a boring night shift like I have, then you know it's so easy to just doze off. Maybe just catch a couple Z's for a little while or maybe just take an outright nap. God never does that. God never turns his back while somebody sneaks in behind him. God never blinks an eye. He is completely aware of every single thing going on, even in the most dark and boring moments of your life. God is completely aware at all times of what's going on with you. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes a break. You may remember the passage out of 1 Kings 18. That's where The prophet of God, Elijah, confronts the false prophets of the false god, Baal. And this scene is so funny. you got to read it sometimes. 1 Kings 18, if you haven't read it it in a while. So it's kind of a fire-starting challenge. Elijah and the prophets of Baal build two different altars. And the, the challenge here is to see which god is true. Which god will actually be able to send down fire onto the altar to consume what's on the altar. 
If you remember the story, you know that the prophets of Baal go first, and Elijah just starts mocking them after a while. And one of the ways he mocks them is by saying, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. That was the concept of who God is in their minds. Elijah, of course, knows better. He knows that the one true God, our true deliverer, never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is completely aware of everything that's going on in our lives. You see, nothing goes unnoticed with our God. He's on watch 24-7, 365 days a year. And even in a leap year, 366 days. Our God is always on watch. He knows all of the details of your life. In fact, you might say that God's coverage is comprehensive. His coverage is completely comprehensive. Let's look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Well, fear along the journey just it's composed of switchbacks and straightaways. And as we're, we're going through the hills, we're exposed to the brutal heat of the daytime furnace and we're exposed to the nighttime freezer. There would be wild temperature swings along the way in Israel. And just like we have here in Colorado, we know what that's like firsthand. You can have some brutal temperatures during the day. You can have some terribly cold temperatures at night. And the, the lesson here is that God will protect you. He's like a shade at your right hand. He's like a shade tree that just follows you along the path to make sure that you don't suffer from sunstroke or at night that you don't go crazy under the freezing temperatures of the moon. He's with you. He's at your right hand, the position of strength that he's just right next to you all the way along the way. God's coverage is comprehensive. It covers you in any condition. There's no condition that's too much for God. See, there's no circumstance in your life that's too powerful or that would require too much power. It's too much of a problem for God because no condition is outside of God's power. No detail, no circumstance of your life is too small for his concern on either way. There's nothing he cannot handle. There's no detail too small for him to be concerned with. That is good news. I mean, let that wash over your soul this morning. Look, we all bring baggage into this room on a Sunday morning. Oftentimes it's baggage that nobody else knows about or maybe only one or two people know about. We all have issues we're dealing with. And we wonder, does anybody know? Or maybe you're wondering, could I ever let somebody know? But here's the, the thing that I want to just comfort you this morning, wherever you are, is to recognize that God does know. He is completely aware of what you are dealing with. He's completely aware of the sorrows that are inside of you, even though you may be able to bury it underneath a happy face. He's completely aware of the shame you may be carrying around with you this morning. He's completely aware of the anxiety that you're feeling. God knows. He knows. He's completely aware. And that is good news for us as we go on this journey. One of the funniest marketing ads that I've heard in recent years are probably the Allstate commercials. I love it because they have the character named Mayhem who at the start of the commercial dresses up, you know, he's in a suit, but he ha always has some wounds on his face, a Band-Aid or a butterfly bandage of some kind. 
And he introduces who he is, and he tells you the role that he's playing. In, in one ad, if I remember right, he is a, an emotionally compromised teenage girl driving a pink SUV who just gets a text message from her friend saying that her boyfriend was seen kissing another boy and she's driving through a parking lot in her pink SUV and starts just swerving to take out parked cars in the lot because she's just so mad. In another scene, he's, he's a Douglas fir Christmas tree who gets strapped to the roof and he's not secured very well. So when they go around the corner, he rolls off the roof into the middle of the street and causes an accident. Of course, the lesson at the end of all these commercials is that if you get Allstate, then you'll be better protected against mayhem like me. God's coverage in our lives is something like that. There's no condition, there's no circumstance that we can encounter where God's coverage does not cover us. There's no situation that you're dealing with, regardless of whether you're expecting it to come or you had no idea it would ever happen to you, where God does not know about it, where he is not aware and where he is not able to take control. There is no situation where God says, sorry, I can't cover you in that one. That is massively great news as we consider the fact that God covers us in every aspect of our life. There is no detail of our our life where God does not know what's going on. But at this point, Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling a little bit of tension in what I'm saying, in what this psalm is saying. At this point, maybe you're wondering, okay, um, that sounds really good. Um, that would be nice, um, but it's just not, it's not my experience. My, my life is certainly marked by plenty of sprained ankles, whether we mean it literally or metaphorically, My life is full of plenty of sunburns. I have dealt with a lot of frostbite in my life, so to speak. I mean, come on, this just seems like the glossy brochure for the Christian life. Hey, just trust in Jesus and all of a sudden you will never go off the trail. Just trust in God and you'll you'll never again stub your toe or twist your ankle. I mean, isn't that kind of what it, it seems like is going on here? listen to the words of author and former pastor, if I can find them, Eugene Peterson. He says this, No sooner have we plunged expectantly and enthusiastically into the river of Christian faith than we get our noses full of water and come up choking and coughing. No sooner do we confidently stride out onto the road of faith than we trip on an obstruction and fall into the hard surface, bruising our knees and elbows. For many, the first great surprise of the Christian life is in the form of the trouble we meet. When we're Christians, we breathe the same air as anybody else does. As Christians, we deal with the same car accidents that non-Christians deal with. We get the same diseases, the same cancer, We have the same relational breakdowns that happen. We have the same emotional problems that other non-Christians have in many cases. So the question is, what do we do with that? How do we square that reality, that experience of life with this text that seems to promise so much? Let's look at verse 7. Psalmist writes this, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. 
The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And you see, that's just it. God's protection, his promise to protect us and provide for us and deliver us is more about the spiritual side of life and existence than it is about the physical. We are also protected in a way by God physically. He's completely able to do that in our lives. He can deliver us out of sickness. He can deliver us out of disease. He can deliver us out of tragedies. He can deliver us from danger. But oftentimes, that's not the case. We know plenty of people who have suffered from those things who are committed followers of Christ. But what he does promise us is that he will protect us from evil. He will keep us from the evil that we face, that we encounter in life. Again, Eugene Peterson says this, All the water and all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. That is the promise of this psalm. Along the way and along the journey, as we we encounter the dangers and the difficulties, we're not necessarily promised that they will never come to us, but what we are promised is that they will never overtake us. As we are heading for Jerusalem to God's presence, that is where we will succeed. We will get there. We can be assured of that. We may have troubles along the way, but those troubles will not keep us from God's presence. In life, in your life, and in mine, we may encounter all sorts of physical difficulties along the way. We may encounter breakdowns in relationships. We may encounter struggles at work. We may have financial trouble paying our bills or being able to meet obligations that we have. But the point is that none of those things will be able to keep us from God's presence. None of those things will be able to keep us from the power he has to deliver us through them. God will deliver us from all evil. That evil cannot get inside of us. It cannot take us out. It cannot destroy us. We look at verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The image here of God keeping us in this final verse from as we're going out and coming in is the image of ordinary life. You would be in this same kind of walled city I described earlier and you would just go out through the city gate during the day, conduct business. Maybe you're a shepherd. Maybe you're taking care of your flock and then you come back in through the city gate at night to be protected. The message of this final verse is that as we do that, as we go out and come back in, just the image of our ordinary daily life, he will keep us throughout that. You see, it's not only the journey to Jerusalem. It's not only the spectacular moments of our life where we're just going to this place of worship like we're here today, this morning. It's not just here where God protects us and provides for us, but it's the Monday through Saturday, the mundane part of our life where we just go to work. We just go to school. We just go to the store and we come back in. God is watching over even that because his coverage is so comprehensive in our life. It covers every square inch, every second of our day, every moment of our night. God is the one who is watching over us. And it's not just for now, but it's for forevermore. That's the eternal aspect of this. That when we put our trust in Christ, when he is our help, We know beyond any doubt that God is the one who will keep us forever. All of our days here on earth and every moment after to all of eternity, 
God will provide for us. He will protect us. We can celebrate because we are being watched. We can celebrate because we are being watched. Ordinarily, we don't like the idea of being watched. We want to avoid it. It's intrusive. It's a violation of our privacy. But with God, being watched is something to be celebrated. We know that there's no place we can go that's outside of his coverage. There are no dead zones with God. There's no place where we go off of the grid with God. He is always seeing our life. He is always keeping us along any step of the way. We're being watched. And I want to just offer you a few different ways where we can celebrate that fact. Um, First off, I would say that we can live courageously. I can live courageously because I know that God is watching over me and that he will see me through, that we will be able to make it to Jerusalem to worship. We will be in his presence someday. So I can live courageously. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can keep us from his presence. There is nothing that can keep us from succeeding because he is watching over us. So with that in mind, I can live courageously. I can be generous and open-handed with my resources, with my time. I can be somebody who is willing to to say that my life is not just about me. I can serve other people because I know God already has my back. He's already taking care of me so I can live courageously. Next, not only that can I live courageously, but I can also rest peacefully. He's the God who never slumbers. He's the God who never sleeps. And on a good night with, with Katie and me, if we're not entirely at our wits end, we will sometimes pray with our kids at night when we're tucking them into bed and we'll say, God, thank you that we can sleep now because you are awake. We can rest because we know you are not resting. We know that we can take time off. We Christians should be people who can rest unlike anyone else, where we can have that total peace of knowing that God is in control. And while we're resting the universe is still going to be okay while we take a break. We can rest peacefully. So we can live courageously. We can rest peacefully. And finally, we can worship boldly. Remember, that's what Psalm 121 is all about. It's a journey that we are on to worship God. We can take part in that journey because we know God will deliver us. We know we will arrive. We may have struggles. The journey may not go as expected. We may have all kinds of things that we could never count on happening, but we know that we will finally arrive. We will finally come to that place where we meet him face to face, where we come before him along with the multitudes of other people to celebrate him, the one who has delivered us along the way. And how can we be so sure? We have the tremendous privilege of being located in this spot in history where we can look back on the Old Testament and through the New Testament and we can see all that God has done to ensure the success of our journey. See, we look none other than to Jesus Christ himself. We look to the one who who came down in human form, who lived a perfect life in our place, who died a death for us because of our sinfulness. 
and then who went into the tomb and arose from the grave, defeating the power of sin, defeating the power of death. And as the Bible says, we are expecting to have the same thing happen to us because Jesus is the first fruits of what's coming. What happened to Jesus is the example of what we get to look forward to as his followers. So we know that God is going to deliver us. He would not even spare his own son to make sure our journey is successful. So let me ask you this morning, if you have not trusted him yet, what's standing in the way? If I could tell you that there's something that is guaranteed to succeed that you will be grateful for for all of eternity, what would possibly keep you from taking advantage of that? That there's the God, the one who created the hills, the one who is greater than your fears, the one who will deliver you from every kind of peril. Why would you not trust him? If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after this. For those of us who are believers, live in the reality that God is completely aware of every circumstance you're facing. Every challenge, every detail, no problem is too great for his power, no detail is too small for his concern. Let's worship him, knowing that he is the one. He is the one who has delivered us. He is the one who goes before us and alongside of us. We can celebrate because God's got us covered. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this truth. We thank you for the reality of your promises that you have made to us, the hope that they give us, the cause for celebration Father, I pray you would give us hearts now and minds now that celebrate you and all the wonderful things you have done on our behalf. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go into a time now at our tables where we kind of discuss, we process the sermon. Um, If you're new here, don't feel the pressure to participate in this. You can just listen. Um, But if you would like to engage, we certainly encourage you to. So here are some questions to stimulate some thought, some discussion for you. Number one, how does fear keep us from trusting God? Just in general or maybe more specific with your own experience. And then what are some examples of these fears? What are examples of fears that oftentimes can can get in the way of our faith, keep us from trusting him? And then the second question, how does Psalm 121 give us confidence that the Lord is able and willing to deliver us through the challenges we face in life. How does this psalm give you a reason to celebrate? How is it good news? So take a few minutes to talk about those and we will come back in just a few minutes. Thanks. All right, everyone. Let's bring them back together here. Uh, what a great passage uh, and a great sermon. This, I, love, I love the psalms. Uh, when Perry first approached me about doing uh, these two weeks uh, in two different psalms, I was all in right away. There's this expression that the psalms are the church's prayer book. And just that whole concept of when you go to the psalms, like what it really is is it's a prayer that we as followers of Christ can pray to God. And that, like, in that sense, we're, we're praying God's own word back to him. And that's, that's an amazing thing for our souls to be able to just feast on the word of God. If you, if you think about it, like the, um, we, we need to eat, right? We need to be nourished if we're going to live. And, and our souls are the same way. They need to feast on the word of God. And then the Psalms is one of the best places to do that, to just read through and pray through what God is saying in the Psalms and, and be challenged by that, uh, be encouraged by that, be, grow through that. 
Uh, and th this psalm is, in particular, is one of my favorite ones. Whenever um, I do a hospital visit or uh, praying with someone that's going through a hard time, Psalm 121 is always the, the best place to go. And um, I, I, I love that concept, that image of the God who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep, and he will not let your foot be moved. And when you're praying with someone who's going through a hard time, usually that question that everyone always asks is, uh, yeah, right. Like, how can that be true? If I'm, if, if I'm experiencing this right now, how can this word of God actually be true? And the thing that's amazing about this psalm is there's no caveat. He, he doesn't leave anything out there that says, God is watching over you except for when you're really suffering right now. Perry did a great job with that, saying that there's no, there's no part of your life that is beyond God's comprehensive coverage. There's no dead zones with that. And so as, as Americans and as, as humans, we're naturally skeptics. And so we come to the, a passage like this and says, how can this be true if it feels like my foot is slipping all over the place? How can it be true that God is not slumbering if it feels like he doesn't have my back at all? And, and then we come back to this fact that there's no caveat in Scripture. It just holds this up as true and says this is how God guides us. This is how God loves us. So then we have to ask ourselves, if there's no caveat, and if this is the true word of God, then how am I the one that's looking at this situation wrongly? What is it about this word of God that, that's challenging me and pointing me to some true fact that I'm not seeing because I'm being blinded by my own suffering? And that, that's when you, when you start to look at it that way, you evaluate who, who is God? Who, who is the character of this person that we're saying we worship? And what we see that Perry ended with his sermon with is we worship a God who did not hide from suffering himself. We worship a God, the, the only God in the universe, the only God in, in the history of all these world religions. Christianity is the only religion that worships a God who suffered for his people on their behalf. And, and, and if, you, if you've been around here for a while, you notice we talk about suffering a lot. In the next few weeks, we're going into First and Second Thessalonians, and we're going to talk about it a few more times then as well because it fits the context. And the, the reason we keep doing this is because I, I've never known a Christian who has had a, a, a suffered in their faith because they've had too developed of a theology of suffering. If we're going to grow in our faith, we always need to be really focusing on what it means to have a theology of suffering, that we can hit these hard times in life and know how God is working. And so what I want us to end with this morning is this concept of who is the God that we're worshiping. If Jesus is the one who doesn't let our foot slip, who doesn't slumber, what does that mean for us? And that's why we do communion every week. Because it's in communion we see this picture of a God who loved us so much that he was willing to suffer on our behalf. Okay, 1 Peter 2 says, He committed no sin. This is talking about Jesus. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, when he suffered, when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus suffered, he didn't, he didn't doubt God's plan in that. He entrusted himself to God the Father, who he knew had a plan that he was working through that suffering. And then verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's why we do communion every week, because the, the, the juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus that was shed. The body symbolizes the body of Je or the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken. And those, that was all done for our sake. Jesus experienced that suffering for our sake so that we could experience the fellowship with the Father that Jesus had. So that we could experience eternal life after this where we won't have to deal with any suffering, any pain, any tears, disease, or anything. 
And, and that is the fulfillment of that promise that says God will not let your foot slip. If you're feeling like your foot is slipping, we just look to the one whose feet were pierced for us. If you, if you feel like God's turned his back on you, we look to the cross because that's where God the Father turned his back on Jesus for our sake so that we don't ever have to experience the wrath of God because Jesus absorbed that for us. And that's why we say that this is good news. Amen? Let's stand together and we're going to partake of the elements of these next three songs as we worship God, uh, thank him for who he is, and then as you feel led, come up and partake of the elements. Gracious Heavenly Father, I praise you that you are a God who watches over us. You are a God whose feet never, uh, you never let our feet slip. You never slumber. You are always there watching us. And God, we trust you. Even when it feels like we don't know what's going on in our life, God, we trust you because we've seen your work on the cross. We trust that you will work your good into our lives ultimately, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus did for us. And I pray that as a community, God, we would just embrace the beauty of this sacrament as we come to partake of communion. We would be grateful for your blood that was shed, for your body that was broken, so that we might have eternal fellowship with you. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.